Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening and welcome to Amplify, a telephone talk show that looks at life from a religious perspective. I'm Father Ron Lingwin, hoping you have felt the warmth of God's love in your life this day, how much we need that, especially the joy you feel when you share that love with others. As we do each week, I'd like to begin a program with a story that is based on faith and formed with imagination. Jesus was speaking to a group of young men when one of them asked him, Master, what is the purpose of the body? Why should it be respected? Jesus looked straight into his eyes and answered, The body is a temple, a gift from the Father. It is unblemished and filled with great love when he gives it. Unblemished, the young man said in disbelief, and they all looked at one another. Jesus replied, Maybe it does not appear that way in your eyes, but in the eyes of God our Father, again I repeat, the body is a gift. It is like the gift of rare flowers, each different, each unique, and yet each so much alike. The young men looked at one another again, and some of them began to laugh. Jesus asked them, Why do you mock me? One of them thought for a while before responding, Master, I respect you, but I do not agree with what you said. Jesus urged him to continue speaking. You said the body is like a temple and beautiful like a rare flower. I believe that's what you said. What then are the bodies of beggars, prostitutes, and shepherds? Do you consider them to be beautiful? Again, the young men laughed at his question. Jesus answered now with anger in his voice, I have already told you, and I tell you once again, the Father does not create ugliness. Only man does that when he creates sinful thoughts, when he abuses the body when he disrespects life in any form, when he embraces darkness and shields himself from the light. In our tradition, we are told to wash our hands before we touch the food. When a guest enters our home, do we not wash his feet? This is a way of showing respect to our earthly body. But man must also cleanse his heart and his mind. Only he can do this. Your neighbor may wash your feet and give you clean clothes but only you can clean your heart and your mind. Woe to the man who refuses to see the love the Father has given to us. Look around at the earth, the sea, and the sky. What is produced in the earth needs sun and water to flourish it. 
In the same way, man needs the words of the Father so that he may grow and continually give God's gift of love to the world. Patricia Cooney Hathaway has edited a book titled Sex and the Spiritual Life, Reclaiming Integrity, Wholeness, and Intimacy. Ten authors have contributed to the book. Patricia writes in the introduction uh, to her book, the word sex has a Latin root from the verb secare, which means literally to cut off, to sever, to disconnect from the whole. Many people were surprised by the negative connotation, yet does it not express our experience of life? We are pushed out of the warm, nurturing womb of our mothers into a world that will often be experienced, even in the best of circumstances, as arbitrary, inhospitable, or not necessarily committed to our well-being. Feeling incomplete or disconnected, we often search out relationships that will make us feel connected, secure, and whole. Unfortunately, the term sexuality, as commonly used today, does not reflect its original meaning. On the contrary, it only carries the very narrow connotation of having sex. For the purposes of this book, we prefer a broader meaning. Sexuality is our way of being in the world as gendered persons. It includes our self-understanding as male or female, our body feelings, and our attitudes. Most important, sexuality refers to an all-encompassing energy inside us, the drive for love, community, friendship, familiarity, affection, wholeness, joy, delight, self-transcendence. Sexuality, thus, is a deep human energy driving us toward bonding and compassion. Without it, life would be cold and metallic, even in its distorted and destructive expressions. Sexuality betrays this fundamental longing. It is God-given for no less than that. We're pleased to have one of the participants in this book as our guest this evening. She's been a guest on Amplify for decades, as I'll point out in just a second. A little more specifically, Dr. Susan Mudo is co-founder with Father Adrian Von Kamm of the Epiphany Association, a dean of the Epiphany Academy of Formative Spirituality here in Pittsburgh. She's lectured all over the world, written more than 40 books on the spiritual life, many of them co-authored with her friend and mentor, Father Adrian, who went to his reward in 2007. Her latest work, A Feast for Hungry Souls, which we previously discussed her here, uh, the last time she was here, is the culmination of a long love affair with the masters and mystics of the Christian tradition. And in the fifth chapter of this book, she explores the calling God placed upon her life as well as the blessings and challenges of her chosen path as a single woman in the church. In this particular book, the title of her chapter is Sexuality, Spirituality, and the Single Life. Dr. Susan Muto, welcome to Amplify. Thank you, Father Ron. I'm delighted to uh, return to, as you said, a long-standing relationship with you on this program. It goes a long time. In fact, uh, uh, you had helped me uh, with a couple of your earlier books that uh, we, that we uh, had um, interviews with, 
uh, years ago, on January 23rd of 1983, 38 years ago. We, we talked about, I think it was your first book, Celebrating the Single Life. Yes, that was the original edition of Celebrating the Single Life. And then uh, another one in this, in the what we're talking about a little bit tonight is uh, Commitment, Key to Christian Maturity. Maturity. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, tell us what it was like as you begin your chapter growing up as a Roman Catholic woman in an Italian-American family in the 1950s. Because I'm older than you, we grew up in the same community, and I know yes, a, little, a little bit about it. Not, not Italian, but nevertheless, Beachview was largely Italian. Well, of course, uh, wonderful memories of uh, great meals and family gatherings and all kinds of uh, good, hard-working people. Uh, celebrating uh, Mass every Sunday at at uh, the then St. Catherine of Siena Church. So I would have to say that it was a close-knit neighborhood at that time, and indeed, um, ethnically speaking, primarily Italian-American. That has altered uh, in our own um, recent times much more uh, Mexican-American. But the point is, at that time, uh, we really uh, emphasized family life. I mean, family life was the center of uh, social life. It was the center of holidays and celebrations. And I mention that because it was assumed that uh, a young woman like myself would probably uh, find a wonderful husband and mm-hmm. have a family and raise children. That was the assumption, and so it was uh, quite uh, difficult, I think, at the beginning for uh, certainly uh, my parents to even explore the possibility that their one and only daughter, I'm uh, the the one daughter with two brothers, uh, could possibly um, deviate from that tradition. It was a very powerful tradition in general in our world, but very strong in the Italian-American uh, upbringing. But uh, somehow, somewhere, uh, the sense overtook me more than on one occasion that perhaps uh, the Lord had a different uh, idea about my future and my life. I must tell you that at that time, the only alternative that seemed uh, logical if one did not marry as a woman would be to enter a religious community, and I actually explored that. I, I visited any number of communities, but uh, again, uh, it did not seem to me that that life was the life that God wanted of me. At that time, and I'll just uh, close this opening remark with that, we did not pray for vocations to the single life. It was not even right. thought of as a vocation. The the single life of Jesus in the world, walking in the footsteps of, Je- of Jesus, who was and remained a single person, we prayed for vocations, of course, to the religious life, to marriage and family. So I must say that it it was um, a time of uh, some struggle and some ambiguity to understand that as a potential calling. Yeah, you point out that if a a woman was not married, people wondered why, and there were various stereotypes that were hard to shake. uh, And I remember the term old maid. You're going to become an old maid? Get married! Was was very (laughs) very popular. And it, it, the, the, those labels were just flung out, and I, I have to 
uh, smile because uh, I came f- uh, from a group of women, not only my mother but my aunts, uh, who outrivaled just about anyone you would have ever met in the matchmaking department. <laughs> and the only alternative to not being matched was to be an old maid or, if you were a man, to be a wrinkled-up old bachelor. Yes. So it wasn't uh, terribly uh, easy to think about being a single person in the world. And actually, I sought some spiritual direction, and, you know, God bless the uh, one uh, uh, priest that I went to. He was a dear person, and I, I really know he had a, a lovely life of prayer and so on. But uh, as I was puzzling with him this question, I remember him saying to me, My dear, my dear, the Lord has placed upon you the cross of the single life try to live it with joy. And I just uh, put my eyes to the ground, and I remember saying to myself, surely there must be something to this life more than just bearing the cross. And I tell you that because that's why I ended up writing the book Celebrating the Single Life, a Spirituality for Single Persons in Today's World. Not that the cross isn't there, but honestly, it, it was put in negative terms. It was, a, it was not a vocation in itself. It was a not, as in not being married and not being a woman religious. Right. Of course, it wasn't that you didn't like men. Um, but as we look back on our life, we realize that God had a plan despite some of our stronger feelings. And that was the experience in my own life. Uh, each of us was created with love for a purpose, you write, and uh, you believe that life is something of a mystery from beginning to end, don't you? Well, I certainly do, and I'm, I have to uh, really uh, get on my de- knees and thank uh, the Lord for uh, bringing me uh, into uh, a colleagueship and a deep uh, spiritual friendship with Father Adrian von Kamm. Perhaps it was because of his European background and his work with a wonderful single woman after the Second World War, World War Dr. Maria Schoenauer. She was the founder of the Dutch Life Schools for Young Adults, with which Adrian became involved in as a spiritual guide and a teacher of spiritual formation to young people, roughly between 18 and 24, who were so lost after the devastation of uh, the war and the destruction of their cities and their families. But he had a tremendous uh, respect for the single life uh, because of the work of Dr. Schoenauer's. And so when I uh, was brought into that providential encounter with Father Adrian, then I also just by God's holy providence, was in the presence of a person who not only respected uh, Christian womanhood and the contribution of women uh, to the Church, but also respected and understood uh, the vocation to the single life. So uh, that um, encounter uh, certainly encouraged me, and uh, he really uh, was all um, enthusiastic about my writing that book, Celebrating the Single Life. And at the beginning, of course, the interview with you was also with him. The two of you were most uh, were together most of the times in the interviews I did. You write, you write in in this chapter. I I knew in my heart to which the mystery was making its claim that nothing would be more demeaning than forfeiting my vocation by succumbing to the dire prediction that I would 
never get over the misery of being unmarried and not having children. And a little later, I discovered that my life's call would be to teach the ancient, medieval, and modern classics that comprise the 2,000-year treasury of the literature of spirituality. From that point to the present, the Epiphany Academy of Formative Spirituality continues to serve the always ongoing, in-depth formation needs of laity, clergy, and religious in a variety of faith groupings throughout the United States and around the world. And the, the thing about this uh, is that you worked in the fields of journalism and also public relations while earning a master's and a doctoral and doctoral degrees in English literature. And in some way that was preparing you uh, for what for what was to be as we look back, as I look at my own life in terms of public relations. And I'm just carrying on a little bit here, a couple more things because we're going to take a break. Uh, but 1996 was a seismic shift for you, um, as it was for me. Mine was I was ordained as a priest, not having expected to be that just months earlier. Uh, so it happened to me that same year. I selected priesthood instead of possible marriage. And mm -hmm. you meet Father Adrian von Kahm, who becomes a colleague, mentor, and spiritual guide who deeply influenced uh, your life. And then he invites you to join him in the establishment of what we've been talking about, a graduate of formative spirituality. And that's what you're doing with your life today, isn't it? We just have 30, well, 30 seconds before well, we take a break. 30 seconds will be enough to say that tomorrow, October 26, 1966, was the day that changed my life. Oh, my. I not only said yes to Father Adrian, but I know I said yes to the mystery of God's holy providence. Wow. So um, We are on the eve of that anniversary. Well, congratulations. It's, uh, there are things that we need to celebrate. Uh, because there's always something new that can be learned in the process or renewed. So we're going to take this break, and we'll be back to talk with Dr. Susan Muto. Welcome back to Amplify, where our guest this evening is Dr. Susan Muto. She's written a chapter in a book called Sex and the Spiritual Life. Her topic is sexuality, spirituality, and the single life. We talked about the calling that she felt in her own life, uh, being haunted by the desire to identify with Jesus, who remained a single person and, and felt that she would feel abandoned by God if she didn't abandon herself to God. And somehow I would hope that's true of, of all of us. Um, but... Um, there is a priest who she goes to and talks to, and he says that that uh, Susan should bear the cross of her singleness for for Jesus. But uh, Father Adrian had a, had a different response, didn't he? Talking about the um, the phenomenon of the abandonment of the soul that he believed affects everyone at some time in their life. Yes, that was a marvelous uh, insight uh, that Father Adrian shared. As a matter of fact, uh, I'd like to read from uh, 
page 72 of this book, Sex and the Spiritual Life, in my chapter, because it really is about um, a very important theme of reclaiming integrity and wholeness and intimacy. And there I say, uh, my service of love as a single person might have been to those abandoned bodily, like the hungry and the homeless, but I had a strong sense that God wanted me to tend to those abandoned in soul. If I had discovered the truth that no amount of worldly success could fill the inner emptiness I felt, might not others feel the same? Father Adrian reminded me that the phenomena of abandonment of soul affects everyone at some time in their life. My situation as willed by God was not single by circumstance, as in widowhood, or single in transition to marriage, but to be single by choice and to live this vocation in obedience to the teachings of the Church. I would feel abandoned by God if I did not abandon myself to God in my fully feminine sexuality and fully lived spirituality. As always, it was that holistic vision of Father Adrian's, fully human, fully spiritual. He loved the phrase from the uh, great Church Father St. Irenaeus, the glory of God is the human person fully alive. Of course, there are crosses that everyone has to bear. You as a priest, every married couple has crosses to bear. We singles have to bear crosses. But to really understand that behind that is the celebration, that out of the cross comes new life and new meaning. And Father Adrian always pointed to that horizon of meaning, and it gave me such confidence that it was possible to be Mm -hmm. single by choice and that that was a beautiful vocation blessed by the Church. Um, You certainly speak of uh, your spirituality as being uh, joyful. And um, why is it important for singles to show how and why sexual expression means much more than merely having sex, but rather it is to say no to irresponsible sexual encounters and yes to the art and discipline of loving others with the self-giving love with which God has loved us. So tell us about the self-giving love with which we have been loved by God. Well, you know from reading this chapter that I've been very touched by the wisdom of St. John Paul II, uh, who writes in Familiaris Consortia, one of his wonderful uh, encyclicals, love is the fundamental and innate vocation of every human being. It is inevitably a demeaning of the whole person, uh, that temple that you so beautifully articulated, to sever sexuality from spirituality, to make it only an it, as in a uh, genital pleasuring that has been removed from the whole truth that our human sexuality is a pointer to a way in which we express uh, the love and the warmth that we have for one another because of the way Jesus loves us. Now, that expression can be in the priesthood, in the religious life, in the married life, and also in the single life. And I think that uh, the Church has always given us great guidance in that regard, that sexuality is not about it. I remember how sad I felt when people would brag about doing it. Sexuality is, is a vow relationship, and it's a vow relationship with God and with other people. 
whether that relationship is celebrated in uh, marriage uh, or whether it is celebrated in a more chaste and respectful way in the single life. But it's all about loving. And uh, the problem with severing that notion of love uh, from uh, its whole pointer to the spiritual life and just thinking of it as some kind of um, quick uh, experience of, of pleasure really makes for great sadness. In a way, that's the cross that mm-hmm. many people put upon themselves, not a cross that our Lord wants, but a formula for unhappiness. You uh, write that uh, before we choose any vocation, married or religious, we are one-of-a-kind human being, and that means that we've been called by God before we've come into existence, and so uh, we need to understand how special we are, that human sexuality uh, shouldn't ever be reduced to mere physical genitality, that we are more than our sexual drives for pleasure, uh, that God has a plan for us. And having Christ at the center of our life, uh, of our love life, entails refusing to treat anyone as an object of sexual gratification. What then is the sacred dimension of our sacred feelings? We must recover in our era a foundational truth given to us by great spiritual writers from Augustine to Thomas Aquinas, certainly to Father Adrian von Kahn, and that is the truth that our essence in God precedes our existence in time. Before we even came to be, we already were in the mind and heart of God. This is uh, the essence precedes existence truth of our faith. It has been horribly twisted in our era, especially by atheistic existentialism founded by Jean-Paul Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir, that existence precedes essence. The minute you say that, then I make or break myself. There is no God. I am the center of everything. But when, in fact, we go to the truth that essence precedes existence, then we know that we are so much more than um, a, an object. We are a deep and loving subject in God's eyes. And to objectify uh, sexual pleasure as an end in itself without really any consequences of loving is simply uh, demeaning our human condition and reversing the truth that our essence in God precedes our existence. So. That essence-existence structure, which uh, certainly St. John Paul II uh, would have uh, witnessed to, is so very important in understanding, I guess, the underlying theme of this book, reclaiming integrity, reclaiming wholeness, reclaiming the truth of intimacy, that intimacy is so much more than uh, uh, self-aggrandizement in the sexual realm. Yes, uh, you bring up uh, Pope St. John Paul II, uh, whose uh, feast day was just a couple of days ago. Mm. And um, you write in a book about how he touched your heart when he visited the United States and said, Today I propose to you the option of love, which is the opposite of escape. If you really accept that love from Christ, it will lead you to God. You've written 40 books or co-authored them with uh, 
Father Adrian Vaughn Kamm, and uh, all of them in some way touch upon the spiritual life, um, saying that we, we need to make Christ the center of all we say and do. Well, we have, with God's uh, gracious help, uh, really produced a body of work second to none in the field of formative spirituality. Actually, it's 40 books of my own and at least another 40 co-authored with Father Adrian. If we put it all together, we probably produced about 100 volumes in the field of formative spirituality. And I want to say, without a doubt, that God knew what God was about, because the single vocation that he granted me the grace of living has given me uh, the freedom that I need to do this work, uh, to foster this mission and ministry uh, for the sake of the people of God and to really serve the Church. Single Life has, has enabled me to have that freedom from the responsibility of marriage and children uh, to honestly become spiritually generative. I, I've always felt that spiritual motherhood is a marvelous uh, part of the single vocation. And honestly, each and every book I or we together wrote, we felt that it was generating new life for people who would read it, that perhaps something in the text would touch them and change them and indeed bring them closer to Christ. So it's it's all, when I look back on it, especially in light of tomorrow being uh, the anniversary of a yes that I've yes. never taken back, a, a yes that has been the core of fidelity, that uh, there, there is a wonderfully uh, generative experience of this writing and this ministry that I believe um, uh, I have been, I received the call uh, to the single life for this reason. And, and I think that uh, bringing up uh, my background in literature and journalism, this vocation has given me such an, a great amount of time to do the kind of research and writing that went into reclaiming that ancient, medieval, and modern treasury of our 2,000-year faith tradition. Yeah, I, have my, I don't have a date in terms of um, my giving myself to God or believing that God was calling me to a particular way of living, but mine was more a place, <laughs> the exact seat, um, and I know the general month and the year, but yes, there, there are moments that are burned into our heart and our soul. Um, and we live in a world, however, where the forces of fueling sexual revolution give Christians no choice but to be countercultural, is what you're telling us. Thank you for saying that, because I feel that uh, being countercultural is an essential yes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus had the courage to go counter to so much that was in the culture in which uh, he was raised, in which he grew up. He had to go counter to assumptions that mere worldly human power uh, was what it was all about. He had to show us the great paradoxes of the powerlessness of the cross, the self-gift of loving the neighbor. So the point is, um, we have to have courage right now, more than anything else. Uh, Father Adrian's reminder to me, I, I probably said it a thousand times during his life and during our colleagueship, Susan, keep courage. 
because without courage, our hearts shrink, and we do not have uh, the wherewithal to stand up and declare that certain um, assumptions in the culture are flat-out contrary to God's way with us. And uh, we are living in a time when the confusion around sexuality, gender identity, uh, the the, um, reasons for uh, procreative and responsible love pretty much can go down the drain, the destruction of family life. All of this is completely contrary to, quite frankly, what gives us human beings a chance for joy and happiness. And the more we try to make ourselves, instead of saying yes to our maker, the more unhappy we become. But we need the courage to be countercultural, quite frankly, um, more than ever right now. And uh, it was one of his books uh, when I was in seminary uh, for theology that really got me thinking seriously, more seriously about my vocation. And uh, there is some sense in which I attribute... Uh, my my ordination to him. How can um, selfish sexual gratification affect us? Well, you know, think again um, about objectifying uh, a momentary flare-up of pleasure and thinking that it can um, really satisfy us. This is the core of so much abuse. It's the core of really uh, using another human being, young or old, as simply an object, an, an object of my uh, pleasure. That person is no longer a subject made in the image and likeness of God to be infinitely respected and cared for. So uh, the separation of Uh, genitality from the fullness of a sexual spiritual life it's it's almost like a new form of dualism and it's it's very radically harmful it it belies the sense that of of the wholeness of our human personhood body mind and spirit and that we are created in the form and image of god it's uh, really um, being shattered that truth Male and female, God created them in God's own form and likeness where they made. And, you know, the reduction of, a, of the human person to mere biology is, is really uh, wrong and, and a formula, I believe, for ultimate uh, unhappiness. Who are some of the best role models in uh, this struggle against sexual gratification that you were just, just describing? Well, I think that that's where I've been privileged to uh, recover the literature of spirituality. For example, in A Feast for Hungry Souls, uh, when I studied the lives of uh, what I call great heroes and heroines of the faith, like, for example, uh, take uh, someone like um, St. Therese of Lisieux in the Catholic faith, or uh, a wonderful man like Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the Lutheran faith, and the uh, very... um, delicate and beautiful love that he had for his fiancée. They were never able to be married because of the uh, treachery of his being captured and ultimately executed by the Nazi Gestapo. But we need to turn to um, heroes and heroines who have lived a, a chaste, a celibate life, who have contributed 
in incredibly creative ways to the goodness of human beings. And I must say, you know, women like uh, the uh, doctors of the church, the four of them now, uh, Teresa of Avila, Catherine of Siena, Therese of Lisieux, Hildegard of Bingen, all of these women um, were very much uh, witnesses to me of uh, how a person could really live the life. Catherine of Siena was particularly important, not be only because of my parish, but she really remained a laywoman, essentially. She linked up at one point with a kind of third-order Dominican group, but uh, Catherine was uh, really witnessing to, I, I think, the single life in the world, and look at how the Lord brought her into the forefront of even resolving the um, papal schism in Avignon. So I, I've answered a long, a long answer to a short question, but you have to find role models that really uh, live the faith courageously and witness to the truth uh, in, in our time and, and in all times. And let me read uh, f- uh, from, from the book uh, uh, in which you have contributed a, a chapter. Um, inspired by the spiritual mothers we loved, among them, Teresa of Avila, Catherine of Siena, and Julian of Norwich, we agreed that celibacy was not a curtailment of our freedom, but a catapult of sexual, spiritual energy that released us to live other-oriented lives, sustained by prayer and the presence of the, to the Lord. Our times together prove that one of the chief factors facilitating spiritual integrity for all followers of Christ is spiritual friendship. Soulmates, male or female, share the conviction that their best friend is Jesus of Nazareth, who lived the loving, self-giving, celibate life they want to celebrate in one another's company. They thank God. We're going to take this break. We'll be back. 